This podcast is protected under the laws of the United States and other countries. Unauthorized duplication, distribution, or exhibition may result in civil liability, criminal prosecution, and the wrath of the tall man. <laughs> Boy! Hey, let's talk about you, the ID10T community events at ID10T.com, like Russ Stevens, a.k.a. Cool Movies Darth, who uh, has started a podcast called 90 for Chill, uh, which Russ says is dedicated to movies with a runtime between 74 and 99 minutes, the time frame that I feel is ideal. Russ, I could not agree with you more. That is a fantastic idea. Uh, Russ goes on to say there are times you need a cinematic fix but don't have time for the latest Scorsese masterpiece or offering from a comic book universe. There's also times when you know you need a conclusion to prevent a binge costing you a whole night. Um, my guests and I try to follow these guidelines as we chat up features that are definitely worth your time and are beyond easy to make time for. 90 for Chill, the podcast, can be found on all major podcast platforms at 94chill.com and that's spelling out 90 uh, N-I-N-E-T-Y 4-F-O-R chill um, so there you go thank you so much for sharing Russ a uh, really great idea for a podcast events at id10t.com for everyone else previously on 94 chill the podcast is the lack of the accordion as an essential instrument really just a British colonial thing Hello there. 90 for Chill, the podcast, proudly presents to you Ali's Accessories Shop on Etsy's Trash Feature Review. So I just concluded watching Teddy Bear, a 2012 Danish film. It's about a bodybuilder in Denmark who's exceptionally shy, like Ava right over there. Sorry for those who are listening to the podcast. And he just can't meet the right woman, if there is a right woman in Denmark. He just doesn't know how to handle himself. And he has an overbearing mother on top of everything to make life difficult. So after his uncle comes back from Thailand with a wife, he decides to try to follow suit. Finds it awkward since Thailand, even in cinema, is still strictly portrayed as a sex pot. But he does find a nice girl not involved in any kind of industry, not trying to get herself set up with a Westerner. Hence, he has to figure out how to deal with his mother after that. It's a real simple approach to this kind of overbearing mother complex type feature. Doesn't go too far and villainize anyone. We just know that the classic, the mother's life, is solely based around her son and the son has an entire life ahead of him even at 38. It's a real simple feature and you can appreciate that that they don't go overboard with the damn it mom get the let me live my life bullshit. So I mean it's just great narrative something that I think anyone who is shy to any degree can relate to beautifully acted and the locational shooting uh, works out pretty great maybe i would have preferred a little more in denmark than just thailand but as i say the story doesn't have any faults really when you stop and look at it and it's worth a watch if you want to experience another country's cinema little hand says it's time to rock and roll bring the noise What if all the stars go out? It's impossible. If there were no stars, then I guess that Nocturna would disappear. Another 
Star Dust disappeared. Aren't we going to do anything? They seem to be important to you. Of course they are. You'll never alone at night. Because your star is with you, protecting you from the dark. He's real? Once it puts out the last light, it will become complete, and that will be the end of Nocturna. We've got to stop it. And as I pull up the Nocturna trailer, I find out the feature is Spanish. Ah, there goes my credibility. And welcome back to 90 for Chill, the podcast. And I'm just trying to keep it brief. You know, I think it's a good little pattern to actually do the long form episode and then go to a shorter one. Maybe that's how, how did this get made? idea behind the mini episodes just to sell the next episode really but you get the stuff like you know corrections and omissions and all the other bollocks which i think we could do you know just uh dm me at cm darthon no well there is this i i sit on a lot of twitter handles uh but i did finally go and pitch the cool movies darth at gmail.com so not even stepping on that CM bollocks anymore. So, basically, this is dedicated to an effort of letterbox stalking of the poetic critic. I knew she had a night off, so I basically, what movies did she really like that fit the format? And I just um, basically spent seven bucks to watch, because I just can't do the iTunes rental. Like, maybe if everything was 99 cents sure but yeah i'm not really into the rental thing with all the streaming options so i could be watching instead yeah so i've got to pretty much all the latest stuff because i'm I'm sorry that my pace has kind of slowed down this past month that's not a bad thing i mean that just says reality's kicked in you're making more money probably Mm. you know you don't want to exhaust yourself trying to keep up on a hobby that's that's the thing i'm trying to accept that this half i sometimes hit a wall with my other hobbies too sometimes something comes up that i want to focus on more yeah like and this actor against this actor or mm-hmm. this hobby against this hobby right and you know 90 for chill podcast is pretty much my thing it's um and um you know i just found it out now more after my last episode with uh uh, Michael DeBra that a lot of people just want to get their voice heard and they just don't want to spend the time to go and get all the gear to do their own podcast and I don't blame them I mean this is gonna all the experimenting and stuff has probably ran me close to $500 and I still gotta go and buy some premium beat uh, public domain music licenses um, so I mean, and it's just great you know until everybody has a podcast it's great to know that I am the I am a um, purveyor, I guess, of the format. So, um, so no, it's not that bad. Uh, you, I mean, you're still kept up on more classical stuff, or yeah, um, the letterbox stuff isn't the full run of what I've been watching lately. Cause I consider anything like standalone over forty minutes mm. to count as a movie. Yeah, I, I don't 
feel the need to review all of them, like making up documentaries. Oh, no. DVDs I. Over catching up with. Oh, no. That's I usually, that. if I go and usually just do a two minute YouTube video, that's at um, CM. Um, you know what? I can't remember which YouTube channel I use that on. Uh, no, it's on Rest of the Bus. No, Ty Durden, T H A I D U R D E N, which I had the made for ICC. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! That's like watching a Mystery Science Theater th- th- three thousand movie, and somebody makes. So catch it up and post. The hell is post? <laughs> right. So those rip tracks. Well, true, but it's kind of. Um, I mean. So basically, I just looked to see if we had any five-star stuff recently, and I did last week or two weeks ago in this event watch uh, Get Around the Class Action Park, finally. And gosh, like white people are the worst. I mean, New Jersey. I mean, I'd seen stuff. I read about it online. I'd seen like Defunct Land, I think, a YouTube web series about. If you're looking for interesting stuff about theme parks, amusement park history, Defunct Land is one of several ongoing YouTube series that looks into the history of these places, and they've done a video about 20 minutes on hmm. Action Park. But, yeah, it it's only a bite of how much the, the feature-length film covers. Right. Um, well, I mean, just the sheer promotional tour Johnny Knoxville had to do for... Yeah. action point kind right. of gives you that vibe but no I, I like that one a lot it goes back to what i was saying a while back that hbo is kind of cornering the market on stories of how generation x and millennials mm-hmm. pleasures came at sometimes a horrifying cost between this uh leaving neverland and woodstock oh, 99 yeah definitely thing. leaving neverland i think it's still a little more gen x but uh Gen X is just a screwy situation because we didn't, you know, okay, our parents may or may not have gone to Vietnam. Otherwise, it was a pretty, you know, our parents pretty much wanted to make sure we didn't actually do anything that they did. Like the the entire free love movement and everything like that. And it's, it's so... There's a lot of helicopter parenting, and then there's a lot of overparenting. I think, I don't, I don't want to say our parents did that, but they made sure we were always kept in check. There was no, hmm, let you know, as long as nobody, as long as nobody gets hurt, we'll just let them do their own thing. I think a lot of that's just our own personalities, though. Um, like me, you and I had it toughest because we were the oldest children. Uh, you know, you just had it tough, and still bitter about you graduating a year early. I wanted to beat up some seniors as a freshman, um, and for me, I just had to be the, you know, the default. Oh well, he's kind of acting normal, <laughs> and I had it pretty tough, so I could, you know, um, at least school wise. Well, let's get back to the movies. Okay. Um, well, I was I, I was trying to tie that in that. But... Some older films lately. I've been catching up at a Criterion Channel, mm-hmm. but I was sometimes really surprisingly impressed by. 
Well, it's still a pilgrim. I figured that had to be on the... That, that's a 40-minute yeah. uh, Charlie Chaplin piece. Well, it's one of his lesser-known films. Well, not it less than like nothing. shortly before he really upped the game with the features. Right. Oh, but no. it's, it's it was really impressive. It's... Um, it's 10 bucks on iTunes right now. That's why I didn't watch it. Um, well, Criterion yeah, has it. Well, I haven't hacked your I haven't hacked your Criterion like I've hacked all the cable <laughs> services on Mom and Dad. But that, but that one's exceptionally good. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there was also The Mark of Zorro from yeah. 1940. And that uh, was another one that's... Um, Got a, it's like no pil no Pilgrim is actually on HBO Max right now. If you that's look. right, they have a lot of channels. Uh, it was uh, the Mark of Zorro that was um, behind a payroll right. paywall for somebody right. who doesn't have Criterion. I, that might have to do with the fact that this one's licensed from well Fox slash Disney. Uh, Seems Disney is willing to license some of the Fox titles out to Criterion okay. for the time being, anyway. Uh, until and, the, until Ben Affleck goes and screws it all up again. Well, anyway, I was really impressed by well, this one I, because sorry, it's just you know, a jo- Zorro... it's just a joke about the uh, pot, the um, Armageddon. Okay. But yeah, Zorro. But with uh, Mark of Zorro, you know, Zorro is one of the proto superhero characters. Yep. And this movie, it's like ninety-four minutes long, and it pretty mm-hmm. much hits all the points you'd expect in a superhero origin story movie. But very, very quickly and with a great deal of wit, it's very well directed, very energetic. I really was impressed by it. And I'm, it's another film that Criterion put up as part of the Saturday Matinee's curated series, mm-hmm. which sometimes crosses over with whatever they're featuring that month, the way that they added Annie 82 to the list last month because it was part of the John Huston retrospective mm-hmm. they were doing. But I like... The Saturday Matinee series is one of my favorite things about Criterion Channel at this point because it is kind of fun to catch up on these old movies I might have heard of but not seen as a kid, even though some of them were pretty frequently featured on, you know, early cable. Mm-hmm. Even Nickelodeon used to feature yeah, a lot good old, of old pinwheel movies and, and stuff like that. Real, especially real early on. Oh yeah, another. No. If another YouTube series, if you're interested in that kind of retro stuff, is Knickknacks. Okay. That that fella is trying to cover every original, every show Nickelodeon has ever featured, including the originals, but also the stuff they acquired. And if yeah. you, and early on, when you're talking the really early days of Nickelodeon, there was a lot of it was kind of. I don't know who coins the phrase, but it keeps coming up in the videos. Is PBS you pay for, and that was pretty high quality stuff. Oh yeah, British right. imports. Right, and as I say, they like, old movies. I I always associate it with the pinwheel stuff. Yeah, well, that was like supposed to be the original flagship. Yes, yeah. one of the first original shows they had. Well, I and it, I'm just saying it felt a lot like the old Bozo the Clown show from. Uh, uh, WGN. Yeah, somebody was just commenting on Twitter the other day, and I was looking at the photos of the Bozo show, and if you told me nobody on that show got paid, I would believe it. Oh, you know the kids didn't, um, and you know a show like that doesn't get to make make uh, people pay. I think professional re- professional sports are about the only thing where you have to pay to watch something that's free on TV. Mm-hmm. But it was like in the 80s, 
we had we were developing idea that you could have stuff aimed strictly at kids, but you weren't pandering to them the way that Nickelodeon would pioneer later in the decade, and especially in the '90s, for better or for worse. Well, I would actually argue that I don't think they were totally pandering to kids. Well, I mean that Nick Jr. stuff, obviously. Um, but I thought usually they kept enough stuff in there just to make sure that we recognize that, yeah, we might be torturing the parents, but we know it. Here's a little joke for you. And back to that blue dog. Right. Right. But I'm, I'm thinking more that it was also like the early days of Disney Channel. Yeah. For a long time where... It wouldn't necessarily always be just Disney stuff. Oh, no. No, there's that... Uh, I was looking at some old promos Weird, Weird Australian cartoon... The, the Dot films. Yes, thank you. Um, film Those kind of imports mm. that, you know, they kind of were... They were important in the early days of VHS. You'd find, they were pretty easy to find. What I'm really looking for right now is the animated version of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe... I know it's been released on DVD. It's probably not in print. Well, I didn't think that. Yeah. Yeah, but the one that uh, Bill Melendez, who was most famous for the Peanuts adaptations, did. Mm-hmm. He backed. Um, but those kind of movies, or the old Shirley Temple movies oh, that yeah, Disney Channel are... had for a time, and colorized versions, the, mm-hmm. although she actually helped supervise the colorization of those. I didn't realize that. Oh, that, that's good then. That's... And, they can still, I think they're still available along with the black and white versions on DVD. Mm. Criterion, of course, they just feature the black and whites. Yeah. It's interesting to look at that kind of stuff. That... Now, sometimes that stuff kind of got dark. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, like, there, I remember this one, like, where all the kids are being assigned to the, to their storks accordingly, and, like, two of them don't want to go. The bluebird. Thank you. Oh, that is one of the most fascinating. The, the whole story of the Bluebird, because there's a fil- few film versions of it. It was a play from, I think, 1918. Mm-hmm. And it was a very popular fairy tale play that topped the 20th century. And it's very much a ex- very existential European work. Okay. And, yeah. It, it, it reminds me of the um, note, uh, the sketch on uh, The Whitest Kids You Know, where... The person assigning babies to be delivered yeah. by storks. And you go to an unwed teenager <laughs> in Detroit. No, why are you doing this? Well, yeah, the Shirley Temple Bluebird is... Mm. I've seen this... I think the best version I've seen is the... I think from 1926, uh, one that was directed by the silent filmic... Or, Asylum version that's Murray's Turnier, I think. Right. And the Shirley Temple version's not bad. It is a bit looser because this was Fox trying to do their version of The Wizard of Oz when they decided we're not going to loan her out to MGM to uh, do that movie. Because mm-hmm. MGM had really wanted Shirley Temple for Wizard of Oz. Well, no, it wouldn't have worked. worked no. That reminds me of the robot chicken sketch where the cowardly lion. I watch a lot of robot chicken stone. That's how I go to bed. <laughs> um. Oh, that flying monkey's not sitting well and throws up. Yeah. And then, Tin Man throws up a bunch of oil. Um. Then the Scarecrow throws a bunch of straw. Yeah. And then Dorothy throws up a bunch of straw. 
<laughs> so how long have you got? It's been a while. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they did again, but neither of those two movies were very successful. Well, I... But then the really amazing, for all the wrong reasons, version of The Bluebird is the one that George Cukor directed in 1976. Are we talking something Russian? It's the only movie that was made as a collaboration between the U.S. and the U.S.S.R. And that's why we had an extra 14 years of the Cold War. I don't know. No, you said 1977? No, 76. 76. Okay, 15 15 years of Cold War. They actually tried to tie the release into the bicentennial in its way, even Ah. though the reason they... The reason they decided to do that, a that fantasy sounds wor- movie. That sounds worse than when Cobra tried blowing up the Statue of Liberty for the musical number that opens yeah. G.I. Joe. It's a bloody musical number, and that's about the only thing worthwhile about that entire but, picture. But yeah, it was collaboration between 20th Century Fox and uh, Lem Film, a big mm. Soviet studio. And basically, the Americans provide some big-name actors and... The, the script and director and they'll do the crew and the mm-hmm. location shooting right. and uh, the extras and mm-hmm. stuff like that and they got Elizabeth Taylor yeah is the good fairy uh, Ava Gardner's in there Jane Fonda's in there mm. and some really notable Cecily Tyson plays a cat <laughs> interesting yeah and I think that explains a lot of the maintaining of Soviet racism. And what they're while just it, animals. It, while it did play a bit on cable, in fact, Fox Movie Channel had it for a time. Yeah, if you I knew think, where to look. Right. No. I, it I, has never had alleged video release in the United States. Mm-hmm. And, I, but I have I have seen the film and it is amazingly awful. I, my friend Jessica probably put it best. It's like an English language. Hollywood version of the kind of Russo-Finnish fantasy movies MST3K tackled by Jack Frost. Mm-hmm. And it's very faithful to the play, and I think the Father Time sequence you were mentioning was dark in the Shirley Temple version. What In, in the original play and in this film, uh, the two our two little heroes actually meet up with the younger brother their, their mom's eventually going to have and that he's he's going to die in infancy of a disease he tells them that the kids and the kids, uh, the boy i think it's the boy says hardly seems worth the trouble coming down <laughs> damn i mean it's, i thought i had problems uh selling the uh, told you it's seriously european <laughs> yeah selling my uh, concept that you know based on the brief run of Hershey flavored hubba bubba. But okay, people have too much time on their hands and we all need expiration dates. Hence my story, 40 Years is Enough, <laughs> saying, hey, tell a bunch of bros you can either go and shag Scarlett Johansson with your neck over guillotine the moment you nut, she cuts, or you can have a hand up your ass every year after 45. I'm betting a bunch of bros would take the Scarlett Johansson way. Well, in any case, I mm. think Jessica, Jessica saw the movie at B-Fest because she oh, was okay. able to get a print. And when I got to that bit about the little kid who's going to die, the whole audience went, oh, I couldn't believe the movie went there. It's a weird 
It's sounds, a weird so, and fascinatingly awful movie, and I wish it were better known. Especially because like the, the making of stories are incredible. So, sounds kind of like the um, the pop in the movie theater when, um, like, the only are they going to go there moment in the entire Star Wars prequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. Master Skywalker, what are we to do? <laughs> There's too many of them. Everybody just yes, they did it. They went there, and that's the kind. And those are the kind of old kids' movies I find fascinating. Because mm-hmm. there were a few others in that decade that have kind of strange existentialist thing. Because you know we were kind of in that post era after like Doctor Doolittle and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang yeah. all flopped, mm-hmm. and then you got. There were a lot of movies aimed at kids in the 70s. Right. And what they have, you get kind of curious ones like Stanley Donen's adaptation of Little Prince. Mm, okay. Which is... There's stuff in there that's so good, like Bob Fosse's performance as the snake or Gene Wilder's The Fox. It's so good, you wish the rest of the movie was better. Mm. And you also get... That was also when we had stuff like Alan Parker's first film, Bugsy Malone. Mm. Which is kind of amazing in its way. How committed it is to the concept of a kid's gangster movie. <laughs> well, it sounds a little more... With um, Paul Williams songs. Well, there's a weird thing, like, um, with uh, 90 for Chill, the podcast. There's a weird movie. Um, I think it was called Dreamland from, like, two th- uh, Henry Rollins... Um, it was featured on our Henry Rollins podcast, and there's, I don't think we gave the kid gangsters and that enough attention. Um, so I think it'll be tough, but maybe a kid gangster, like, there's a lot of stuff Screen Drafts has to tackle. Like, kid gangsters, I think we can come up with seven <laughs> films. It might be the seven film list, not the right. definitive. Um, also, Joey, Joey, uh, pa- Joe Pantoliano definitely needs his own screen draft. This comes from after watching Risky Business as Guido right. the Pimp. I mean, but The Matrix, Goonies, The Fugitive, all his direct-to-video stuff. Yes, we're going to get rid of the Mooch Rule for that episode. But, but um, in any case, I mean, mm. we have so much more media aimed at oh, kids. Oh, I was about to say Alan Parker. The only thing I yeah. really comes to immediate mind that I've seen is Angel Heart. So, wait. Oh, there's... I thought you'd seen Pink Floyd the Wall. No, I haven't actually gone and uh, you know I know it is. I just haven't actually watched the set and watched it. Right. I mean, it, it's one of the best and, albums of all time. Do you really and, need the visuals? And he also handled uh, the film of Evita. Yes, and we did see that in theaters. It wasn't bad. I just don't like Andrew Lloyd Webber. Right. Well, Roger Ebert said he didn't really care for Evita as a show because mm. Lloyd Webber has like one song and he just hammers reprises that full movie oh yeah that, 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 that's Andrew <laughs> but, Lloyd uh, you know it still works as a movie yeah no I'm not not questioning that Antonio Banderas definitely underappreciated during award season yeah but in any case tying all this back to kids kids stuff, movie yeah I do kind of miss the those more experimental days and that comes up to another movie that fits the 90 for chill parameters and I saw on Criterion Channel because mm. it was added for Saturday Matinees, and it's. Uh, let me look. Look up the. Uh, 
day you know 2007 nocturna which i just as i said paid seven bucks for on itunes Mm -hmm. and definitely worth it worth it they that they added that a few months ago as part of the saturday matinee series Mm. and look i was really surprised by how much i enjoyed this little european production yeah um, g kids imported it mm -hmm. didn't get any attention yeah no it's it's a yeah it's a lot uh, that's virtually lost when you really consider it like this is a I mean, there may have been better films in the States from that year, but... Um, well, 2007 was the year of Ratatouille and well, Persepolis. I definitely put Ratatouille. Pers- Persepolis, uh, Persepolis, thank you. I don't know why I always do Persepolis. And I just watched Argo. So it's like, I should know my Iranian stuff now. Um, Persepolis... No, see? Okay. Per- say it, please. Persepolis. Persepolis um, is a brilliant film um i love the animation style in it um i don't know it it is just a real damning picture about everything the west and the and the persians screwed up over the last i mean we're definitely not the we're not blameless in everything that happened in iran i saw it at film club before but that is also currently on criterion as part of the art house animation right no it's right. definitely not ready for the matinees yeah um, well it's interesting what films do end up in the saturday mm. matinees because some of them are a bit strong meat with the animated features like uh, they have watership down okay yeah that is definitely borderline yeah the plague dogs definitely isn't for kids no right? no watership down is kind of borderline i can see why it was kind of shocking in 19... 19- 78 oh i think animal farm is the same same kind of same kind of thing um i know 70s is a good time for cartoons oh yeah um Uh, looking at some of the other stuff we did just for the art house animation thing uh like films like son of the white mare it was very good mm. Again, not really for kids. Right, unless but, they're kind of sophisticated kids. Well, with that said, it, I would say, I don't know. When it comes to Nocturna, is it for the sophisticated kids? Because, I mean, there's a lot of, like, it's a lot of stuff to pay attention to to really appreciate. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, the better Pixar films in that way. Okay, yeah, that's a good kind way. Of, I love the animation style, oh yeah, definitely. Oh, squash and stretch, and, you know, yes. I miss that so much, and... CGI animation, even even Pixar. And the CG is actually pretty good. Yeah. In, in they're very good. We kind of one of the reasons I miss two D is because we did come to a point where we could really integrate the CGI element with two D and give it lots of personality. Mm. And you know, a lot of what looks two D now is created on computers, like Flash, like on television. Yes. No. Archer. Basically anything. Yeah. Adult Swim. Yeah. But the see in a lot of these European productions another is Ernest and Celestine right I, I saw that on your and it was just like I yeah. just didn't think I'd had I don't know I'd... oh it's really worth a look okay. and Criterion and well, Shop Factory is about to bring it back out on DVD even though it's a relatively recent film yeah I knew that much it was just more of a they, they have both English and original French track yeah. and Ernest and Celestine's another film that kind of reminds you of like the prime Pixar movies mm-hmm. and it goes in some directions I didn't expect a little kids movie about a bear and a mouse to go yeah I, I think did. you'd really like that one. Oh no and uh, there's 
there's not a lot of stuff. There was an anime that's pretty cheap on iTunes right now, Momo, Letters to Momo, hmm. uh, which really looks good. Definitely kind of has that kind of a mix between traditional and Satoshi Khan's yeah. more iconic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, now, yeah, before we go and talk about a little more about Nocturna, because there's cats and, you know, yeah. I am all about kitties. Cats and tats, that's usually what I put on a dating profile. And, like, it just, I just want to say, I watched this movie with my uh, best friend, her daughter, um, Cat in Paris. And, no, it does not work. And I think uh, you've reviewed it. You, oh, you I have was reviewed. really disappointed by a cat the, in Paris. The best thing that happens is that when the villain dies and you see the cat have a face of, yeah. <laughs> Which is the only redeeming, if anything, about the picture. Yeah, that was like one of the earlier G-Kids imports that wasn't an anime film. Yeah. As I remember. And it got a nomination for animated feature at the Oscars. No, it's... Yes, yeah. a lot of these G kids films tend to fill out the category. Right. They're never going to win. Yeah, but yeah, Cat Harris had this really promising setup, but it goes in such talking about kitty movies going dark. This goes dark in weird directions. I wasn't really. This just doesn't feel right. Right, for no a children's movie. No, and I and I do think cats are the. I really do appreciate their murders, but it's like, <laughs> no, I didn't need that. Like, now, like, this has been such a weird flick, and the cat basically says, yeah, it has. That was disappointing. But, yeah, but, yeah uh, Criterion's featured that, too, because they're getting a lot of these G kids titles mm-hmm. and sharing them. Yeah. About the only ones they're not handling are the Studio, Studio Ghibli, Ghibli pickups, right. because that's, HBO Max has that whole hub just mm-hmm. for those movies, and that's yeah. fine. Yeah. But, uh, I really, but with the Saturday Matinees, it does give a sense that so many of these are, more recent films are European productions or Asian productions. Mm. That in the U.S., I think another comment somebody recently had and that I liked on Twitter was people seem to want their art with the crusts cut off. Yeah, <laughs> that's even that's kids' a... movies don't seem to really be willing to go serious right anymore but i would say nocturna actually pretty much nails seriousness now yeah. i as i say i say it's a four and a half star film you mm-hmm. said it was a four and a half star film basically i just don't think it lays the premise out well enough to be perfect i mean i had tears and everything but then it's like okay so this is a story about a kid supposed to conquer his fear of the dark but everybody sorry I'm, that might be spoiling Let's just say he the it's a conspiracy. There is a conspiracy by the guy who runs things. Movie I think and, would make a great double feature with is with John Landis's Into the Night because mm. <laughs> it's a fun. Yeah, and, in that movie, it's kind of the situation the Jeff Goldblum character has is that they're stuck in a situation they really don't understand. Right, and <laughs> yeah, it's just so devastating. And I mean, there's so many things I like about it that are like basically. <laughs> Let's just let's just put it this way: the kid, um, the kids are supposed to go to sleep and have cats assigned to them <laughs> to make them go to sleep. And our protagonist Tim's cat, um, I know I got Topper Marie, mm-hmm. is pretty much comatose. <laughs> he just likes to sleep. He's a cat, 
And basically because he doesn't fall asleep, this kid learns of a dark conspiracy. And it's up to him and the cat shepherd, which is a big French-like clown who does go and uh, shepherds cats. This one was okay to present clown imagery in not necessarily evil ways. Well, the Europeans do it all right. Yeah. Um, I think that's part of the charm of the... I didn't watch the series when it was on FX, but Baskets, mm-hmm. you know, our protagonist basically says, I went to France for clown college. <laughs> and that means he doesn't get any work in the States. Yeah. Um, so, but it's, um, I mean, beautifully animated. It does... I do dig the dialogue. Like, yeah. kids are awful <laughs> when they're awake. And it's like... Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like, why haven't we had more serial killers out of orphanages? Because, like, these kids were just horrible to Tim. Looking at... And, uh, like, everything's cool once he's conquered his fears. Mm-hmm. But it's like, oh, gosh, you know, why don't you just go and drown a drown a horse slowly in quicksand? It's quicksand by that point. I just resaw the meme of somebody doing cosplay as... Uh, <laughs> A tray you and he's and he's just dra- dragging the little reins. <laughs> oh no, they had the he had a horse's head with it. Yeah, <laughs> like it's even worse in the novel. The horse didn't come back in that. Well, you know, I think um, 80s all over pretty much nailed um, yeah. what uh, no, the never ender story. Drew a horse in a room full of children. Yeah, it's um. I think it's definitely overrated. I think it's basically like one of the rare VHS movies that we all clamored on to. Like, as millennials, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm going to hold on to that two years of being in that window. Um, but it's still like all the kids loved it. And it's like all the kids love Hocus Pocus. And it's like, well, I'm I just. more forgiving of the never ending story because what it does well, and the thing, it should have leaned more into its fundamental Europeanness. Uh, yeah, I'll give you that. That's what it should have done. Okay. But, I mean, yeah, it's, I, it, the direction is not great, as they pointed out on, um, I yeah, think. It was the guy's first English language film. But you don't just, like, part of it. this is like a, like, I'm gonna use, okay, everything's on the set, okay, and place my camera, and, like, this is what, this is pretty much what inspired Kevin Smith's style. It's yeah. like, alright, everything's well, there. about how horribly difficult the production was it's a little more understandable oh, oh, okay but it's just basically like that um it was a cinema it's snob almost as risky to the actor playing a tray as adventures of baron munkhausen would be for poor sarah Palmer. oh geez oh the stories she said about that and that eric idols backed her up on is that gilliam did, was really hard on the actors on that yeah one. Uh, gilliam <laughs> I don't know. Level. I think since Gilliam couldn't get that Don Quixote movie made the way he wanted to, uh, when he wanted to, yeah. I think he's decided I'm going to be Kubrick now. I was like, no, 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 no. We we got over that shit. Well, it was, the problem was back far back as Baron Munchausen in '88. Yes. So, yeah. Right. But what I was trying That's to bring it movie. back to was that cinema snob Christmas. Um, yeah. Santa Claus meets Mother yeah, Goose. Yeah, Santa Claus and the Magical Land of Mother Goose. Right, and it's basically Stuart, um, basically our the director of Blood Feast. Yeah, it was her, her Herschel Lewis, Lewis just filming this kitty pageant. Right, <laughs> like that's, um, yeah. There's beautiful sets in um, 
never-ending story, but again, let's let's try to interact with the sets. <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Robot but, Chicken pays it better respect, I think, yeah. than most. But but uh, talking about other films that have been featured in uh, Saturday Matinee's Adventures, Baron Munchausen is one of them. Okay. Don't know if they've included Time Bandits yet, but they have it on the channel anyway, so mm-hmm. wouldn't be surprised if it gets under that listing sometime. Okay. But it goes back to saying how I think since the eighties we the kid of Somebody called it on TV Tropes, the kid empowerment era that Home Alone and The Rise of Nickelodeon started. Yeah. Kind of hurt kids' filmmaking as a whole. Because you, you well, look at some stuff. I don't know because it brings me to another thing I noticed, and I know it's probably been a couple of months, not totally fresh on your mind uh, from your Letterbox Diary, uh, and I'll get to that. But I don't know, at least it kind of kids wanted to watch kids movies in the 90s for the entertainment opposed to what I'm eventually going to work to and I brought it up like the front the final aisle in front of village video yeah um so yeah I mean and that's why I guess I'm a little more bitter about Hocus Pocus everybody like there just seemed to be nothing to draw me into that film my friend Jessica Ritchie is totally against reclaiming Hocus Pocus. Okay, good. Bad and Hook. <laughs> yeah, well... No, you're not going to say this movie is actually good. No, yeah, Hook is... Um, yeah, no. Like, Hook is one of those movies, like, I'm supposed... I'm a kid. I'm supposed to like it. Look, Charlie Corsmo again. He was brilliant. He was the only thing in Dick, Chase, Dick Tracy that was brilliant. But I know it wasn't bad in Dick Tracy. There's a lot of things that were all right about that. I'm not going to go and badmouth Al Pacino's Oscar nomination from Dick Tracy. I think more people are starting to come around on Dick Tracy being worthwhile now that mm. we've had enough distance. Okay. But with, And I will work to something since we're selling a matinee concept, but go ahead. But, yeah, with Hook, there's a lot I like about that film. But there's a lot to like. There, it, it just gets weighed down. It's something that relates to why I don't think I relate to Disney as well now as I did back in the 80s and into that early 90s, that rebuilding period. And what we were talking about earlier about why I think Epcot's prime years might have been the 90s and not the 80s, mm-hmm. as many well, people say. I, I, and I, I, think it, I think you're right there. I think it took, you know, 80s was just setting that mother lover up. And the 90s, now it's time to actually make something of it. And part of it is, there was a sense of humor and goofiness that Disney was a little more willing to indulge in back then. Mm-hmm. Even in something like, well you look at something like Beauty and the Beast. And that for all the heartfelt drama and melodrama that movie has, it is unapologetically slapstick at times. Yes. And it... It leans into that, and it works for the movie. Now, now you're making it me think... It doesn't take itself too seriously. Yes, and now you're making me think, like, Russ, you are the biggest Ewan McGregor fan you know. Why have you not given the new one, like, ooh, Ewan McGregor doing slapstick? I shot. It's just more of an observation. I think I'm fine with owning I Love You, Philip Morris, in my collection. When well, it comes to that stuff. Well, if you ever do stuff. watch it, but look, get back to me with your thoughts. I'd love to hear them. 
have a lot to say about that. Oh, I, I could imagine. Like, no, it's like it's a big thing for me. Like with these Disney, quote unquote, live yeah. action remakes, because Lion King is not a live action right. remake. I've heard some people have argued that Disney must have said tried to push that so they could push. Frozen 2 is the biggest animated feature ever later that year. Yeah. But it actually did a little less mu- a little less the box office than Lion King remake had. Well, you know, it's a summer movie versus a winter movie. That's, that's part of it, I'm sure. I mean, unless unless you have bloody lightsabers. Uh, AV Club's uh, Popcorn Champs column got around to Lion King 2019 and said, no, if we're looking at the end of movie going as a regular thing, we're going to have to blame it on movies like the fact that movies like The Lion King could have been as successful as they were, given there was nothing there. Well, I, I think we still got to blame HBO Max for just making it free to watch the movies at home. Because I am pumped for The Matrix Resurrections, but am I going to go out to the theater if I'm paying $15 a month? Right. Yeah. I mean, I hope I hope you don't... For all you cheapskates who are paying nine ninety nine for HBO Max... I hope you don't get access to Suicide Squad and Mortal Kombat. I, I, you gotta get through that paywall. But with, uh, but I digress. Um, yeah. But with that, that kind of lighter tone you saw in a lot of the early '90s Disney mm-hmm. stuff, and that also pops up. I think a it was a great more, transitionary thing for Disney. It, yeah, that is kind of sales transition along with the next film in the sequence mm-hmm. of the animated films, which was Aladdin. Yeah. And I, I mean, it, it, then you're gonna have bullshit like the bolt. Damn, that just sounds like a pun. When I go, what is it? Open range or home on the range? Yeah. Okay, open range. No, that's a Kevin Costner. <laughs> I would have loved to see that movie combined. <laughs> but who doesn't want to see Roseanne Barr get shot? I'm saying shot. I'm not saying killed. But there was then with Aladdin though. You start getting more self-conscious, mm-hmm. and either you're overly self-conscious and meta, and not willing to just engage with the story seriously, yeah. the way Beauty and Beast still manages to do, even with all of its humor. Right, and I'd say that's the problem of, say, or you get, Atlantis and um, Treasure Planet. Yeah. Or, I love those movies, I'm just saying. Yeah. Or you get overly earnest. It's... The word that we keep hearing that Disney will keep pushing on us is magic. And what that translates as is... The dragons are dead. Magic died with them. Extreme earnestness. Because, and you see this with Disney fans now, is that it's like there's a sort of shame Disney fans have over openly liking anything that's just fun. Mm-hmm. That it has to be either profoundly magical or, and the only humor can be the very meta, self-referential, snarky kind. So they're basically going, these Disney fans are basically going DCEU on Walt Disney. Sort of. Because like, you, you know. <laughs> they don't want their, they don't want stuff to be grimdark. No, I'm not saying grimdark, <laughs> but like I can't recall I love 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 and unapologetic love 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 Man of Steel 
and Batman v Superman. Right. Justice League, I'm going to have to watch the Iron Cut. Not, I'm sorry, not the Iron Cut. The Snyder Cut. I do want to, I am still a supporter of Suicide Squad, so let's, if we can get that Iron Cut on there, a supporter. It is not a good movie, but Captain Boomerang deserves some respect. And I digress. Um, but, but it's like, there are no jokes. Uh, until Joss Whedon goes and screws everything up with his Justice League. Yeah, it's the snark thing. Yeah. It, whenever the humor is used now, and it seems to be what how Disney movies approach it, because I did watch... I have seen Tangled. Now I can say I've seen the whole thing. Okay. And that's kind of seen as kind of a dividing line about how Disney brought back their animated musical brand and mm. that sort of thing. Okay. But... The humor in that movie, so much of it is obviously snark and being clever, mm. you know, in just the way that the Shrek movies kind of ran into the ground already. Oh, gee. You mean Shrek movie. <laughs> ran into the ground. And it's it has a distancing effect. You can't really take the... It's either you have this kind of condescending snark or you're alternating with wild earnestness and none of it come, comes together as a whole the way something like Beauty and the Beast does where the humor comes naturally out of the story and the characters mm. and it and and it's flexible and you're saying you're Dis- these Disney fans again like this snark and earnestness instead of this naturalism I, I think I mean, I'm just saying what's I mean, your see, impression think, of them. What I, what I have is they don't want to, they either want it to be completely earnest and magical and cutesy. Mm. And if there's going to be any humor, it's going to, su- it's the kind that suggests they're not taking it as seriously as they actually do. Okay. So there's not that far removed. From what I said, they right. want they. A lot of there was a video somebody made saying that what's happened is Disney looked at the success of the MCU films, yeah, the Marvel like, movies, and how snarky they are. Like it, Star Wars and would just be adapted it to their own animation yeah. formula, especially from the Frozen movies on. Yeah, no, that's not uh, definitely it, not how. Like the sheer fact that. Well, let's let's just talk about you know us planning our hopeful ship to Disney, Disney World at the end of the year. Um, now I still want something to get shut down just to stick it to these anti-vax morons. I really, I really, really questioning. Do I keep this clean thing on my iTunes profile um, to get something taken away from them? Like, we should have had pass, vaccine passports right away just to tell people. Just, yeah, get them angry and get them into getting their shots. Worst thing, they, like, um, but we're, you were talking, oh, how you got Charlotte this for the trip and princesses and bollocks like that. And, uh, John, what's his favorite Marvel character? Yeah. All right, that tell like, one, Star Wars is the thing I introduced him to. Yeah. Um, but 
Marvel has all been PG-13 rated stuff. And mm-hmm. Ryan, our little sister, is a teacher who's setting fine example of following the rules. Yeah. This little bugger should have watched... Um, Flash Gordon, which was my first Christmas gift for him. Yeah. Um, seven years ago, I turned. I think I turned out fine watching and singing Flash. Ah yeah. ah. Uh, uh, yeah. At the age of two. I mean, Flash as Gordon is tongue in cheek and has a lot of humor, but it's not a superior tone. It's having fun with oh, what. Well, that knowing that it's absurd and doing it anyway. Right, but and I and I'd say. That is very similar, similar to the Marvel, and I think a lot of the Marvel movies like. I think it's telling that I a think, lot of people think seem he, to have the softest spot for Thor Ragnarok because well, it made that kind of approach work. For I, it. Well, that that's definitely for comic book. Fa- I mean, for for people wanting to yeah. not kind of wanting that camp provided from uh, yeah. the the ter- the first three Batman movies mm-hmm. that lack of lack of seriousness right i mean thank you know thankfully the acting is so over the top by the villains in the first two batman that yeah. you get away with it. the only un, only villain that doesn't really work i think in the entire the first three three batman movies is two-faced yeah. but i think that but i'm just i'm just saying that there is a um there shouldn't be like if you have parents acting like my fine little sister I don't know how the bloody hell she turned out like that. Um, she, the Marvel cinema, the Marvel stuff shouldn't be something your kids are seeing anyhow. Yeah. Star Wars is a little more wholesome, in all honesty. Yeah. At least the original trilogy, and mm-hmm. I would even say the sequel sequel trilogy. Yes, it gets a little crazy when you look at what led us to Rebels. <laughs> um, but that, yeah, so. Right, so I, I, this is just basically a statement saying that the MCU is the MCU for a certain audience. It's not the Disney audience. Right. And, like, you had your format. Star Wars has its format. Mm-hmm. Like, it, they work. That's why they make billions and billions yeah. and billions. Right. And I feel that we, although a lot of people say that the current attitude we take towards fantasy entertainment starts with Shrek, I'd say... That it became a problem. I got over like, Shrek in the first. Yeah. Within. Yeah, it's one thing that it was three something months. that didn't need to be a franchise. Yeah, well, it gave us Puss in Boots. That's true. But, and Puss in Boots definitely like. The standalone Puss in Boots film was very good. Yes. It, <laughs> and that's because again, it's humorous, but it engages enough with takes the story seriously enough for it to work as that kind of a story. Right. If anything, the movie most reminds me of this young Frankenstein. Yeah, but the entire point is, okay, yeah, it's making fun of the concept, but yeah. it's not eventually going to turn into what you're making fun of. Right. That's the pro- that is a big thing. The Disney movies like we've been getting from Tangled Onward want to look more sophisticated think that they look more sophisticated and adult by making a lot of snarky jokes, even though eventually it's just going to be the same sentimental melodrama that the older films had. But because of that 
attempt to cop a superior attitude, it doesn't land as well. Mm. It's probably at least as early as Hercules. Yes. No, I definitely I mean, can Her- I mean, Hercules is very, very funny, but then you're supposed to take the client third act that seriously. Not at all. And it, not doesn't, at it all. does not land. And that's more the template of what Disney's been doing now. They've just been more successful about it with something like Frozen. Is it okay to blame Disney for the f- craziness that is James Wood now? I don't think so. Okay, I'm just trying to no. trying to find something. No, it's kind of a shame there because Woods really loved voicing yeah. Hades to the point that he voiced Hades in all the other media too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He just he just liked doing it that much. Well, no, I think it's just the asshole in him. On no, honesty. Well, anyway, and I think back that I think Cool Epcot was good. It, it was fun, but in a way that it could still land like something like Crane and Command worked. Mm-hmm. And we don't see that so much now. Yeah. And Disney and Disney fans are always complaining about getting the magic in. And that's really just a way of covering up for being wanting to be really earnest and not wanting anything that could be just simply funny, goofy for its own sake. Maybe mm. this is one reason Disney has not been able to get a handle on the Muppets. That would probably be a reason. I mean, because the Muppet, like... Just sad. Frank Oz at, saying that I he mean, wants to be Miss Piggy again. And yeah. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, that was so sad. Yeah. I read that that piece mm-hmm. in the Guardian, and I think the, the attitude Henson had was so perfect. I think it was a big influence on a lot of what worked about Disney when they were rebuilding itself. That they realized you could work, you could work with that kind of attitude. That and. Like, you think of all the great kids entertainment in the 80s that doesn't get enough credit for influencing and, or being knocked off of that we have now. Like, well, Shelley Duvall's shows for kids, like Fairy Tale Theater. There is so much DNA of what Disney would go on to do when it was rebuilding itself and that stuff. So many of the people who worked on that show eventually worked with Disney hmm. or appeared in similar stuff. And... Well, it's just the, I think the classic case of Disney wanting to make sure it was Disney. And that destroys a lot of visions. Yeah, as Disney, that was another problem in the 90s. Disney became so powerful again so quickly out to their heads. Yeah. Especially where Eisner was concerned. Like in the defunct land videos, they spend a lot of time about Disney's problems in the 90s with the theme parks. Roughly starting with when, with the Euro Disney uh, not going over the way they had hoped to right and that I was like the wacky, bit, there's, the wacky incompetent villain of the Disney there, era there's, the a 90s. Gr- there's a great bit in um, the Edgar Wright Simon Pegg series space mm-hmm. where uh, Mike has to explain why he was uh, kicked out of the um, basically the British version of the National Guard yeah. and how he was on move they were on training in in England in France where he decided to take a tank to go to Euro Disney at the time Disneyland Paris now <laughs> <laughs> and um, needless to say though he was just a murderous psycho a wannabe murderous psychopath and they gave him his guns back um, so I don't know. It's you talk about weird. You know, we're talking about the '90s, and 
the change and everything, here is something I would really like to throw the matinees before I go and tackle what I've been teasing. Okay. Okay, so Super Mario Brothers 93 is supposedly a hard DVD to find. I did find a cut co- Like, I saw a copy. It wasn't like Cocoon, where, oh, I know it's a classic movie. I, no, I'm not going to pay $10 for a used DVD. Oh, 333 Yeah, I'm going to do it. And it's a very bare-bones DVD. Yeah. Um, but I watched that, and the third act gets a little too goofy. I mean, just wanting to, okay, and we're building the action to a finale. No, 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 we got to slow it down again. And we're going to build it up. No, 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 we got to. But I'm thinking, is like if you would have taken the Super Mario IP away from it, I think it could. I think it ended up being there was a good movie there. I mean, I definitely want to know the magic juice, the the magical scotch that John Leguizamo and Bob Hopkins was drinking between takes that made this happen. But everybody, but all the actors know what they're in. They're Doing, you know, they're. That's another one that has a lot of weird stories behind it. Like, right. Well, obviously, but I'm just saying it's like, no, I would like this ended up being Screen Drafts number one video game movie. And I'm thinking no, like <laughs> any of the Resident Evil. Well, I think any of the Resident Evils may have been a better movie, and like, well, not not this Resident Evil. Okay, at least, there's still at least three Resident Evil movies that could have probably taken that top spot, and like. Okay, no, no. I, or um, Werewolves Among Us. Mm-hmm. Like, no, nah, that, that video, nobody played that video game, so it's more of its own thing. But, like, no, I, I, I really I say, like, if this was, didn't have the uh, Mario IP attached to it and it was just something shown on a Saturday morning yeah. um, matinee, kids would be brainwashed and out of it and, <laughs> like, this is a futuristic never-ending story like it's like there's it there's just something about it and like yeah. when i saw it i knew it was a bad movie in 93 and i felt bad for ta- dragging dad out to have us see it but yeah and I, I didn't even sit with you i went to go see aladdin again because it was the, we, by this time we were at the budget yes know? and it's like no no like i you, you give it time to breathe this is one of those rare fine wine movies like <laughs> no no i just like or for me being a scotch drinker no this is just crappy vodka no give it 20 years intercourse your johnny walker blue well one thing i want to say before we get to you again okay is finish up about what i'm trying to get out of this idea that disney fans are way too earnest and don't want to be no we'll kick that in your face i think there's a parallel in what happened to Michael Jackson in terms of his career. Mm. Michael Jackson was a lot more fun in the 80s. Oh, yes. Up for Captain EO, you know. And after that... Yeah, I don't know what all happened. All the fun dr- drains away after that. Because his ego got too big and he was too interested in the magic. Well, I don't know. I mean, Moon Moonwalker has its moments. And there are some... Did you know that there was supposed to be a Mickey Mouse segment in Moonwalker? Yes, yes, I did, yeah. did know that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. That's Mo- another story. All right. Moonwalker had its moments. I will yeah. say that. I mean, how Joe Pesci trying to push drugs on kids. I think that's so, like, maybe, you know, maybe we didn't need an anthology. Maybe we should have just sold that. Well, I th- my understanding was that it was originally just going to be released 
smooth criminals, the standalone piece. I don't think you can get 75 minutes out like, of it. Like, there was supposed but... to be, like, a making of video for it, and, mm. like, Pee Wee Herman shot a cameo as a makeup uh, guy. Yeah, well, he, he, he hadn't caught, got himself in trouble yet. But anyway, let's yeah. get on where you were going. Well, I mean, it would have made more sense <laughs> if Drew did this from Nocturna, um... Which is funny because I did see a vampire movie from 2015 called Nocturna. Real cheap. That's not even the first vampire movie called Nocturna. Nocturna. I didn't think so. It was just something. I was desperate. Desperate for a vampire. 1979. That is a disco musical comedy. Oh, okay. That's very close to softcore. Oh, right. (laughs) Well. It's a vanity project for this uh, professional dancer. Uh, Probably funded with mob money. Oh, well, then that's definitely more interested in that. Not, it's, uh, I only watch the Nocturna. Uh, kind of up there with something like The Room in terms of your vanity things. Oh, jeez. And, and The we, Room didn't have John Carradine. <laughs> Imagine The Room with just one actor. Yeah. I mean, um, so, uh, Nocturna 2015, that's, yeah. that's really cheap. I found it on Crackle. I was that desperate. Mm-hmm. Like, I need another vampire movie. I'm going to do a vampire episode. Right. Um, and it's not, I don't, it's not that painful. Mm-hmm. So it's not a good movie, but hey, it's, it's not, I'll, I'll take that over any Twilight. Um, I only watched because it had one of the actors who's in a bunch of Greg Rocky movies, which uh-huh. I should not have watched Kaboom during my week long, um, stint of IFC on Unlit, films unlimited, which I basically just picked up so I could watch super for free. Um, yeah, that just makes me think, man, I miss all my craziness with strippers. and <sighs> I am Bender. I'm going to make my own podcast with hookers and blackjack. You know what? Screw that. So, but Nocturna, as I say, the only way to justify the story and make it perfect would be to say it was a dream. Yeah. And so that draws me to... I think it's a great juxtaposition, especially after all this talk, was a non-horror fan yeah. providing Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street a four-star review. I really like the film. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I've been watching trying to catch up on some of the more iconic 80s titles, mm-hmm. and you know, you don't tackle... You don't tack me up. in particular without Nightmare on Elm Street. It was a game changer for the slasher run because it was one of the first to be explicitly paranormal. Mm, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, but, yeah. I, thought, I, I just thought about, you know, up to that point, most of the slashers right. didn't really have paranormal the, the, elements. Yeah, Jason just came back. Yeah. And having, you know, come off of, it's obviously a bridge between what New World Pictures had been doing mm-hmm. in the late seventies, early eighties, because a bunch of people who worked on that film, you know, were making their bones at New World at the time, like John Saxon yeah. and uh, Rachel Tower. Well, John John Saxon was making a living. I can't say he was making a making his bones. He earned those way back. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, it does feel very much like a New World production. At the yes. Time. Yeah. Oh no. And, it's, it's, and that may. They make it work for that. It's mm-hmm. a very entertaining movie. It's pretty tight, you know. Yeah, no, it's a, right. And it it's an inter- 
interested in plot line mm. and it inspired one of the all-time best treehouse of horror segments the <laughs> evergreen terrace i have it's that presently faithful parody oh yes under in terms of adapting into something you've done the simpsons right and i wish it would have like now let's have no more talk about this bizarre cover-up <laughs> <laughs> oh the um okay um you you can um you can take him out of the room Ah! Oh, just, just get him out of there. I'm from uh, the kindergarten. <laughs> no, it's because ah, they're littler kids. Okay. So, but yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, I, the only thing that doesn't work is the special effects at the um, last scene. I remember Craven saying that wasn't the, the original ending wasn't what they went the studio insisted on and he, I suppose you can kind of tell oh yeah the blow up doll being dragged through the window yeah. instead of but it is interesting uh, talking about dreams because mm. it reminds me I still haven't seen Brazil I haven't I've, I've picked it up during the uh, that was something my best friend Stephanie Smith Stephanie Smith for Congress I think 2022 just, just throwing it out there um was big on having me see i think like she like uh, i mean it's, it's been a, it's on a lately oh jeez i didn't know that i had i picked it up during the criterion oh, yeah. black Friday friday sale i mean there's a lot of terry gillian i need to basically all of terry gillian i really need to watch i've seen um fear and loathing which has its moments but it's definitely definitely an overrated yeah, I, I don't like it as much as a lot of people seem to. Yeah. Although I'm glad people came around to it because no, no, it no, does it's, do a lot right. Yes, no, it's just not a solid narrative, I think. Well, that's the thing. If there's Terry Gilliam is one of those directors that should be pressing all my buttons. Mm. But like Fellini or Don Bluth or Richard Williams, I never warm to his movies the way I'd like to. And I think... When you learn about why... Yeah, Truffaut in my case. Well, Truffaut I like. I don't mm. love, but... Yeah, no, but... It's... He doesn't... But in his case, he doesn't automatically work in the kind of fields that really push my buttons, so I don't mind so much. Oh, okay. Right. But with Gilliam, uh, there's a reason after Holy Grail they... He did not direct another film for the Pythons again. Yes, I'm well he was all, that. They talk, they talk about that. Oh. Somebody's trying to come in. Oh. I want to pause. Okay, yep. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? <laughs> We just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say. It's in the jaw and puking since he saw it. They're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy? something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't 
see that no we really don't want to go and have to deal with a bunch of bullshit it's a gradual climb we are watching more good movies than we are watching bad movies yeah. uh and you know we have a sense of when a movie is going to be bad well yeah sometimes you, you, you got a tough thing you got to tough through that i understand because there's going to be some art art out there yeah but like do i have any does like i own I've watched Cannibal Holocaust. I appreciate... I mean, I really appreciate Cannibal Holocaust. Sorry for the dead turtles. Um, but... Have I watched Green Inferno yet? Do I have a copy of Green Inferno? Yes. Do I love Eli Roth? Yes. Am I really ever going to be in a mood to watch another Cannibal movie? Oh... Uh, 
Not necessarily. Yeah. But, uh, dream, or dream movies. What are some other movies involving dreams well, that you enjoy? I don't know. I was about to just cap it off with by saying, well, have we seen Blue Velvet, Rory? I have seen Blue Velvet. Because I was just thinking, oh, the entire, um... I know that's one way you can interpret it. Well, that's one way, but then you even have that bit where it's uh, the uh, famous love letter uh, <laughs> uh, monologue by Hopper. Do you know what a le- love letter is? And you have um, Roy Orbison's In Dreams, yeah. and you even have Hopper singing the... Lynch is a director I like more than I expect. I am really turning around on Lynch. I didn't think... I mean, I think Racerhead is quite beautiful. Mm. A bit drowsy, but that I think that might have been part of the point. Right. And it's amazing how much he didn't have to change about his style to do The Elephant Man as his next film. Yeah. <laughs> and that's part of what makes that movie so amazing. I mean, if you want a dreamy type thing, jeez, yeah. I could have probably brought this back up when we were talking about Shirley Temple. Uh, Wild at Heart. I haven't got to that one. Oh, I got to see that in a... You've seen Mulholland Drive. You you see, everybody just... And I think I've said it on the podcast with other people. Everybody just, like, puts it on and, like, oh, you're going to get... I I can't watch it after this moment where the guy comes out from behind a dumpster. Yeah, the bed behind the dumpster. Yeah. (laughs) I just saw it. I I didn't know that that was kind of a meme thing. When I watched it. I didn't know what a mean thing was. This is back in yeah. 2004. I was smoking some It was some already weed. that well yeah. known. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that... I just took... You just take that kind of thing as one of those things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, no, Wild at Heart, I got to see uh, 2003-ish, I think. It was a re- rerun series they were running at Landmark. Yeah. Yeah, back when they were doing that. Yeah, so, got to, like, yeah, um, so screw that guy, screw that Aurora. It's a good thing that they can't come up with the name, like, name of the guy who shot up the Dark Knight showing. But you ruined midnight movies for everybody. <sighs> I mean, you affected everybody, man. Like, I really. I don't want to. I don't want to advocate the death penalty for anybody, but, dude, you're gonna end me on. I think Jonah Hex was the last mo- midnight movie I saw because I knew it was gonna bomb at the box office. So <laughs> let's try to support Josh Brolin, and <sighs> I never thought I'd see John Malkovich just do something for the paycheck. Well, you didn't see Aragon. <laughs> Which came first? Yeah, I don't know which came Ar- first. Aragon, because uh, Jonah Hex opens was dumped on the same weekend as Toy Story Three. Right, but um, let me say this about Aragon: you kind of knew it because it had Jeremy Irons in it. That's probably. True. We talked about that on um, with um, Michael DeBra on the mm-hmm. previous episode, where I unapologetically love John Dungeons and Dragons, and I appreciate that. All the interviews where Jeremy <laughs> Irons said he did it just to furnish his castle in Ireland. Yeah. So, uh, but dream-wise, geez, trying to think of one that comes to immediate mind. Well, I mean, you got Total Recall, of course, but that's another one I haven't got around to yet. 
Oh, it's it's if you love Robocop, <laughs> this is Paul Verhoeven and his Verhoevenness. Um I don't know, it's one of those weird things that dreams are kind of difficult to take on, I think, as a moviegoer, because we're not here to, you know, we can do this stuff in our own head at night. Um, yeah. Um, like, oh, but they're, they're definitely... And no. Wild at Heart's not a dream movie, obviously, nor is Lost Highway, which... is a tougher, tough, probably a tougher, toughest beautiful soundtrack and when it, it worked and it does work it's just an interesting movie that is built around an extended dream sequence that I saw a while back mm. it was on Criterion but it isn't now is a film by I'm probably going to mangle her last name Catherine Greylot okay called The Sleeping Beauty it's a mm. French film that basically takes the framework of the fairy tale that the girl goes to sleep for a long time. Yeah. And then much of the film's an extended dream sequence. Okay. Has. And it's worth tracking down. I don't want to spoil how the dream works because that, I thought it was a very interesting idea and it's executed mm. quite well. And uh, I thought Inception. That was an no, but I'm just saying, oh, Inception does the entire dream thing. Uh, I'm not really. I haven't seen Inception. Um, so uh, I imagine you've seen The Prestige. Yes, I have. Okay, I haven't seen the Prestige. It's it's just something Nolan does, like you know, dude. I don't know if I'm up for this long ass journey to space and, and you're trying to fix time. I mean, the following, which was on IFC, free unlimited uh, features unlimited. It's a it's a six dollar service. I just want to sometime get Shutter, so obviously I wasn't gonna get it past the week, and it doesn't have the entire IFC lineup. A lot of it. I like the prestige. If only because it made really great use of David Bowie. Yes, no, everybody says that's the main reason. Like <laughs> and this is a guy like I brought it up on the like we got into Road War since Vernon Wells was in the Road War and he was yeah. in commando and like, right. and then like, Oh, Beyond Thunderdome just holds a place in my heart. Oh, that's the first one I could really access and <laughs> the P D thirteen and that threw me, you know, I'm, I'm blaming it for me not being a zero on the Kinsey scale. Because then you got Labyrinth, where David Bowie looks exactly like Tina Turner until he speaks, and you realize, oh, that's a dude. <laughs> How many anime characters copied that cut? Somebody wants to ask for TV tropes. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's. I it, think that under, has a better understanding of dreams and dream logic. Yeah, it does. No, indeed. Yeah, especially the stuff does. And that Terry Jones, you know, right, is the credited screenwriter, although that script did... There were a lot of hands on that script, in, in particular Elaine May, yeah. that didn't get credit. I think that... It, it goes back to, like, do I watch the... for? It's Labyrinth is one of those movies where it's like... For 90 for Jill, just to spread things out a little more, dude, since I don't... There's not a post-credit scene or a mid-credit scene. Right. Like, you know what? It, it, it's... You I kind of miss the days when some movies just did just end. Yeah. Like, I mean... Yeah, and now I... There's... I don't know. It's like... You gotta know... It just feels so tacked on like really are like 
it's a good thing where you have the Peacemaker TV show already in the can. Yeah. Because only making $28 million opening weekend and people actually saying, oh, that makes it a failure. Right. Um, and I said that wouldn't have been a failure until Shang-Chi went and did 73. But remember, Shang-Chi didn't ha- doesn't have a streaming release alongside it. Right. It isn't only theaters then. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, okay, basically you say, hey, they're... The sheep are ready to go to slaughter. Is um, gosh, Disney is absolutely evil. I think is what we've really come down to on this now. Ah, well, great. That's I'm definitely not going to get it. Well, I think the Ringer is with HBO. The Ringer is uh, under the uh, no AT and T is definitely evil after support throwing all that money behind uh, te- Texas Governor Abbott. Jeez, there's just Everything is evil. I thought that was just a wrestling move. Oh, man. Oh, gosh, I need some good drugs so I can dream this all away. Give me a bloody red pill. So, uh, so, children or parents looking for suggestions for children movies from 90 for Chill, the podcast... Ah, do not play this in front of said children, <laughs> unless you unless you want unless you want us to provide that message that everything is evil. I'm not saying it's evil. It's tragically misguided. Okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna add a disclaimer. You should have had this at the beginning of the episode. Oh. I don't think uh, it's it's weird like uh, podcasting and the thought of children because uh, one of my favorite podcasts Marty and Sarah love wrestling and thanks for uh, Marty for and Sarah for giving credit to everybody who reached out to Marty over his uh, current dealings with depression um, and you know just acknowledging hey they've made it you know got messages that you know it's because of us that people have done made a thing and like yeah I'm gonna give you guys credit for that. Um, but they, they were saying like, and I think I talked talk to you about it before, like, you know, they cuss and, but they know they have family, friends who have their kids mm-hmm. listening to it with them in the car. It's right. like, no, no, no. We trust your children. That's why we use all this adult language. So I don't use the adult language and I mean, so, but, um, all right. I think, um. Uh, no, everything's not evil. Just do your damnedest to avoid the evil. Watch old movies. I yeah. think that there's less evil in that. <laughs> I think we can agree on that. You might have a point there. Okay. So, with the rare agreement uh, between uh, Letterbox's CM Darth and Letterbox's The Poetic Critic, um let's go in and wrap that up so i already gave your probably your letterbox the poetic critic um many a times um are there anything else you want to promote have you been showing up on other podcasts and help me know uh not lately okay (laughs) you can catch her on uh what's that jeff goldblum podcast i sometimes 
I'm regularly brought referred to on yes. uh, Jeff Goldblum, the Complete Works podcast, mm. or at Goldblum Pod on Twitter. Okay. Although the last few weeks we have had some more obscure stuff I hadn't seen, but then they still mention that me that this one's so rare she hasn't seen it. All right. Well, see, so she's you, know, you win either way. Right. So she's got she's got her influence on the. Uh, film twitter um i have been trying to keep up on her suggestions uh at ruby stevens you sure that's just not mom i'm pretty sure oh that's your um um i know that's the handle of one of the people you yeah jessica ritchie yes and at ruby um at ruby Steve- underscore stevens, stevens. Yeah. yeah i was just saying that because mom's nickname in high school is ruby um and then the other guy, the Bill something or uh Bill Bill Smiley, I think. Yes, I think it is. Uh at Neo Kefka. Yeah, Neo Kefka. <laughs> yeah. The Neo Kefka guy. Right. Those are some good followers. Um otherwise you can find me of course at um ninety for chill dot com. There's also main event of the doc main event of the dead dot com where I post all my blogs and uh, writings and also a attempt to get people to help me get my Z budget pro wrestling Zomcom main event of the dead produced if you want to assist with that send an email to rustthebus07 at gmail.com that's r-u-s-s-t-h-e-b-u-s 07 at gmail.com or follow me on twitter at catbusrust that's at c-a-t B-U-S-R-U-S-S I'll take any advice on how to get it out of developmental hell I have the script, I have a bunch of cheap camera equipment, and hey, I got these microphones um, to work with that, so and I'm more than willing and happy to send out script treatments and um, yeah, just keep following 90 for Chill the podcast uh, thanks for coming back and uh, keep listening content every week give us those subscriptions and five star reviews to help with the algorithms and if you still want to trash the show hey i'm a big boy i can do that on twitter at catbus russ thanks again for 90 come the 90 for chill the podcast uh thank you stacia harden for allowing me to keep being inspired to keep doing it and thank you the poetic critic you're welcome can i hear a wahoo